you want to change the world, you've got to throw a better party than the people destroying it. That's the style of campaigning that both is a way of inspiring people to join, but also of keeping yourself going because fighting the fight can be very exhausting and it's much nicer if it's fun. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. This is a really powerful episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Many of us have ideas about how to change the world for the better, how to take a campaign or a message or a cause and make a real impact possibly around the entire world. Few of us achieve that, but Tristram Stewart has done. A few years back, Tristram decided that he wanted to gather 5,000 people in London's Trafalgar Square and feed them with hearty, healthy food made from ingredients that otherwise would have been thrown in the rubbish. To find out what happened and the impact it had that reverberated around the world and how it led on to him creating a new beer brand called Toast Ale made from discarded bread slices, listen to this remarkable episode. So Tristram, thanks very much for joining us on the Ideas Lab podcast. Thank you, John. I've been fascinated by your work ever since I heard about this event you ran in Trafalgar Square, which I'm sure you're used to talking about now because it is remarkable and you've run it multiple times. It was called Feeding the 5,000. Can you explain what it was? Uh, Well, I'd written my book uh, on food waste and knew that I needed to get this message out to a, uh, a huge audience, not all of whom were going to read 300 pages of densely argued, evidence rich text. And So I decided that the best way of communicating about food waste and indeed food issues in general was to use the food itself and lead people by their stomachs. So I came up with the idea of feeding 5,000 people all for free and all using ingredients that otherwise would have been wasted. And at the time, I had no idea how to cook for that many people. I asked the mayor of London um, if I could do it in Trafalgar Square and the answer was no, of course you can't. <laughs> but thanks to Rosie Boycott's last minute intervention, five weeks before the event, uh, that no turned to a yes, um, which gave me the rather onerous task of finding enough food and enough people who were going to join this crazy adventure and people who were going to cook and organisations who wanted to be part of it because it was all supposed to be kind of promoting the existing solutions, the existing organizations, the chefs who were working on it, the redistribution charities like Fair Share who were getting the food that was um, being wasted by supermarkets and factories to people who really needed it, that kind of thing. And um, everything fell into place remarkably. About 10 days before the event, I found uh, Para, who runs the charity Food for All and feeds thousands of people every day at the moment. Um, He has the biggest cooking pots in Europe. He said, sure, I'll cook your 5,000 meals. Just bring me the food and the volunteers. And so got all the food, worked out how many carrots we needed and how they needed to be chopped and how we were going to get people all that logistics. And then 
there was a huge amount of media coverage on the morning. I was on the Today program and BBC Breakfast with Tommy Myers, who um, the founder of Oaxaca restaurant chain, who'd been doing stuff on food waste, composting, etc. And sort of mid-morning, I thought, yeah, but, you know, what if no one comes? It was December. Uh, it, was, uh, it was snowing outside. And I had no idea if anyone was actually going to come to this event. Might have been feeding five. <laughs> exactly, it could have been. And we had done a lot to promote it, and it was going wild on, on social media. You know, there was a, just a huge organic uptake for it. Um, we literally had zero budget for this. It was just, um, you know, cobbled together. Proper grassroots activism, all volunteers, myself included. Um, and... Then at 12 o'clock loomed, I was doing interviews for the media and about half past 12, I had a little window and I went and looked over the balcony at Trafalgar Square and there was this huge queue of people all the way around and they were coming into the curry tent looking cold and, and shivery and then coming out all warm and, <laughs> and saying, wow, that's delicious. Why would anyone waste this food? And we had kind of groceries giveaway of all the ugly fruit and vegetables that would have normally been wasted. And people are going, what? That's ridiculous. This is perfectly good. Why would any, what? The, the supermarkets that make you waste, it's, it's totally crazy. We had the farmer uh, from the NFU up there talking about having all their broccoli being wasted because it was the wrong shape or something. And the f- atmosphere was electric it was like a festival people really enjoying it and it was a kind of protest but one that you just couldn't um, <laughs> argue against you had the kids going around giving away the vegetables and um and it was it, it the impact of this event was kind of unplanned but really significant and immediate uh, we had a change of policy from the supermarkets themselves. They started stocking ugly fruit and vegetables. Because uh, this was the food of the time that you fed the 5,000, basically, was it mostly from fruit and veg, but the supermarket normally just throws away because it looks a slightly weird shape or something. Is that? Yeah, they don't even throw it away. They don't even take it into their depots. They tell farmers if it doesn't look perfect and they give you a little booklet to say what perfect potatoes perfect carrots perfect etc look like if it doesn't comply with these standards we don't even want you to bring it anywhere near our stores the farmers are the ones that bear the cost of that waste and so to get this food i didn't go to the supermarkets to get it this was a a campaign aimed at the supermarkets i went to the farmers who had been telling me throughout the research of my book um we have this massive problem. We waste a third of our harvest. Sometimes we waste the entire harvest. I'd shown in my book farmers who had to plow back in entire fields full of crops that were fit for consumption, but for various cosmetic reasons were just being completely consigned to the dirt because um, of the way they looked. And, you know, that was the situation and that was the food that we used. Um, I needed 750 kilos of food to feed 5,000 people. And I went knocking on doors, calling up the people that I'd gone and visited during the research for my book. We ended up with 13 tons of produce being donated, being trucked into London on the back of lorries that were coming in anyway. So they slip an extra pallet or two of these rejects. And the vast majority of that went through the redistribution channels of the organization's 
that I was partnering with, like Fairshare. Um, they sent it off to all of their community organizations around London and, and the UK to get that fresh fruit and vegetable that would normally be wasted to people that need it. And the, the idea was not just to do it as a one-off event. Yes, it was a protest. Yes, it was a, a way of bringing this attention, uh, bringing this subject to the attention of the public and politicians and the businesses themselves and put pressure. But it was also a way of opening doors uh, that had previously not been opened. So getting that farm gate waste that fresh fruit and vegetable local production into the charitable channels. And that's since become uh, a much more significant part of the food redistribution system in the United Kingdom than, than it had Amen previously didn't really exist. Wow. And, and I remember hearing sometime around that time, because basically me hearing about this event switched me on to food waste. I'd never thought about it. And I think the stat was something like 40% of all food that's produced is is wasted. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. I mean, globally, it's, I mean, it's very difficult to know because we haven't got enough research, but, but around a third or 40%, um, depending on where you're looking and what you include as food waste. Um, yeah. So that means, and is it mostly being wasted, as you say, between the farmer and the supermarket, because the supermarket refuses to sell bent carrots or whatever it is, or is it because is 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 part of that what we're wasting at home? Yeah, it depends on how geeky you want me to get. Um, <laughs> if you look across the supply chain, um, a lot of the official statistics that are out there for the UK and Europe and other countries suggest that consumers are the worst culprit. Now, of course, it is the case that um, householders in the United Kingdom and elsewhere waste a horrendous amount of food, and we definitely need to do something about it. I'll say two things to it. Firstly, uh, UK consumers per capita have reduced their food waste since the time of that event by one third, which is a massive reduction. There are very few mass behavior change, environmental changes that you can identify around the world with that level of gain. Um, so pat ourselves on the back and celebrate the fact that we have actually gone a long way towards solving this. We need to do a lot more. Um, these issues, you know, they're not going away. Um, and we, we, need to, we need to reduce them as far as possible. Um, and the other thing I'd say is that very often you hear that that is the vast majority of the food waste that arises across the supply chain. Um, and I have always argued that that is a little bit of a conspiracy theory that's a kind of uh, let's blame the customers and deflect attention from what's going on at the industry level. And those statistics are misleading for a number of different reasons. Quite often when those figures are given, it includes the food waste that is not edible stuff like tea bags and banana skins and eggshells and bones, um, which isn't food. It's organic food-related waste, which, of course, it needs to be managed properly, go to composting or, or anaerobic digestion, but it's not the same as wasting food, whereas the food that's wasted in the supply chain is actually food. Those wonky fruits and vegetables that are being wasted on farms is edible food and is different category of thing completely. The other thing with those statistics is that they um, often haven't been measured, so no one has been including the discard of edible fish at sea, um, no one has been including the discard of edible offal at the slaughterhouse. And most importantly, for a country like the United Kingdom that imports net by value the majority 
of the food that's consumed in this country doesn't include any of the produce that is wasted on the farms that are growing the food for the United Kingdom. Uh, but because it doesn't occur in the UK, it doesn't get included as industrial, uh, the, the food waste on the industry side. And that is deeply misleading. And as I found when Feedback uh, launched, uh, this is the charity that I went on to found, Feedback launched its work. Um, I went to Kenya four or five times. I went to um, Peru, to Colombia. Uh, we had team members going to Guatemala, to Mexico, to Senegal, um, South Africa, all of these places that are growing produce for the UK supermarkets, farmers. And these are the people at the very bottom of our supply chain. These are people, the workers there are being paid less than $2 a day and, you know, for whom salaries were, you know, live or die. It's that bad. Um, not being paid and being told to destroy entire crops that invested money in and and that being just to comply with the cosmetic standards or because orders were cancelled because the supermarket managed to get cheaper stuff from somewhere else. Um, that, um, that food waste isn't in the official statistics. And yet, from an environmental perspective, you know, this is land that could be used to grow food for people who actually really need it. It's land that may have previously been roamed on by lions and elephants, and we've taken that habitat away from them to grow food. It's using water in a water-scarce part of the world. Um, and we're leaving farmers unpaid. Last time we had a system for getting people of African origin to work and not pay them. We knew what it was called, and it was abolished uh, a couple of hundred years ago. And yet the supply chains of some of our supermarkets, I found, were deeply dependent on this unfair trading practice um, of, of leaving farmers unpaid for food that they'd grown indirectly through middlemen for, for UK supermarkets. It was morally uh, just the – I've never felt more ashamed of being <laughs> a European yeah. person. And, and what seems remarkable is probably – the amounts they're paying are so small anyway. So I would imagine there are all sorts of, the, the other costs are probably uh, over the raw materials more significant, I would have thought. It always seems rather strange to me why you need to squeeze the person, uh, but you're already only paying, you know, a cent or something per potato or whatever it might yeah. be that they're growing. Um, yeah, that just seems particularly cruel. Well, since started campaigning on this, I mean, things have changed. Uh, individual businesses have taken responsibility for their supply chains in a much more progressive way. We've got much better legislation, both at the UK and the European level, to protect farmers from um, what are called unfair trading practices. And the Competition Commission, having launched a big uh, research, which I wrote about in my in my book, and the policies that came out of that, um, the Groceries Code Adjudicator in particular, have improved the situation somewhat. Uh, but these these things do absolutely still go on. So it is your time now. So the organisation you set up was Feedback. So it's a campaign organisation uh, to bring to light the, the problem with food waste and to actually do something about it. You've also, Feedback was, was also run multiple versions of the Feed in the 5000 uh, experience, haven't they, um, in different That's countries? Right. So Feeding the 5,000 had uh, an enormous impact on business, on government, and public awareness went 
through the roof. Um, and uh, just as we were getting ready to kind of put our feet up and, and relax, we started getting a, a, a torrent of demands from countries all around the world who had seen that what we had done is create a national coalition for a national movement against food waste. And this was before feedback existed. I was just kind of organizing it with volunteers. Um, and the volunteers who got involved said, come on, just no, let's not stop there. We've got to, got to capitalize on this thing. And um, awards started coming in for the work that we were doing. And it, it was really, really encouraging. And eventually that took over my life. And uh, my co-founder, Nikki Haralopoulou, and I um, uh, set up, well, I'd won this prize called the Sophie Prize. It came with $100,000. So I decided to get, go to Barbados and just relax. And uh, then decided not to and employed Nikki with that money. Nikki and I founded Feedback. We both handed over uh, the running of Feedback in 2017 to the brilliant uh, director who runs it now, Karina Millstone, um, who is taking Feedback to the next level of being, you know, not just a food waste organization, but a food system change, food sustainability organization, which was always kind of the underlying plan. But she's really started to uh, implement some of that in a, in a new and decisive uh, direction. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we became a catalyst for campaign wins and national movement building in uh, every inhabited continent of uh, the world. We had um, loads of work from the European Union in the United States. And as I say, we our work um, went into uh, South America and, and, uh, and Africa and got exported through other organizations through Asia uh, and Australia. So um, really, it was amazing how this wildfire of, of activity, a tidal wave, yeah. Uh, of of organizational impetus. I mean, really, I can say when I started campaigning on food waste, it was a non-issue. It wasn't yeah. on the agenda. Uh, there were no government budgets. There were no entrepreneurs working on this to speak of. I mean, you know, the, just completely changed. The philanthropic money that's come in, the investment money that's come in, the number of startups that have come in converting one kind of food into another to save it from being wasted, um, organizations that help bigger companies cut their food waste, policies, increasingly ambitious legislation in all parts of the world seeking to tackle food waste uh, and public awareness, you know, is is, is just not where yeah. it was 20 years ago. Um, it, and it's I remarkable. Think, you know, yeah. You've played a big part in that. I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, you really did put it on the map. And I remember, like I say, it kind of switched me on to it immediately. And I think there's a lesson for people who want to have some positive impact in the world that, You'd written a book which covered this subject really well. You could have, you could have tried to do this campaign in a different way, but having that incredible, there was a story around that event. You know, feeding the five thousand kind of humorous title that's referencing the Bible, but also the just the concept of a packed Trafalgar Square in London full of people, and you're feeding them with food that was being thrown away. Just just suddenly makes people go, what? And, and as you said, it had a big effect on everybody there, but everybody read about it. And um, and I think it's there's something important for anyone who wants to start a campaign. The, the, the impact of, of, of a story, of a spectacle, of, a, of an event that you can gather people around is seems to be very important. Uh, I would agree with that. And um, the other thing is to recognize that 
that actually you haven't got the answers. Everywhere we did Feeding the 5,000, the first thing we did was go and sit down and listen to what all the local organizations told us. We didn't have all the answers. Everywhere we went, we learned new things, new ways of doing things. Uh, you know, I remember when Disco Soup became part of the picture. We'd, um, I, you know, we'd always try to make a kind of fun atmosphere preparing the food. But the French team who had got the idea off the Berliners to have a schnipple disco, have a big party chopping all the vegetables. It just made chopping all those vegetables, instead of a big like volunteer task of six hours, you get 200 people. We got 2,000 people. 6,000 people came to the Hotel de Ville, the main square in, in Paris, to our Banquet de Saint-Mille, the feeling of the 5,000 there, mm. even though it was driving with rain. We had 2,000 people doing the disco soup, doing the dancing, chopping process, <laughs> preparing this food. And it was just like, we are never having to get volunteers to chop our food again. We just throw a yeah. party. And we took that everywhere. And every single place taught us new, new stuff, which we then shared. And, and so that's the other really important thing. Um, but on, on the main kind of style of campaigning, upside, I'm really an angry person. I'm an angry, pessimistic, uh, you know, really, I, I grieve about the state of the planet. It's makes me cry. It's deeply, deeply sad what we're doing to the natural world on a daily basis. Um, and I don't think we should let go of that. I think grief and anger uh, are powers that we cannot deny and that, that exist whether we want them to or not. Uh, and our job is to upcycle uh, that into something that we can be joyful about and celebratory about in the same way that nature upcycles death into life. You, you cannot have life without something else dying and composting and becoming part of the nutrients. And I think we do that um, by finding a way of doing campaigning that can find the celebration, the joy. Uh, our motto at Toast Ale is, um, is if, if you want to, if you want to cha change the world, you've got to throw a better party than the people destroying it. And um, so, you know, that's, that's the style of campaigning that both is a way of inspiring people to join, but also keeping yourself going because fighting the fight can be very exhausting and it's much nicer if it's fun, at least some of the time. Yeah, I love it. So mentioning Toast Ale, tell us what the idea was behind Toast Ale. Oh, so again, this was an idea that I didn't come up with myself. Um, I, uh, in the course of my campaigning work, I was doing an event in Belgium, in Brussels, and uh, the curators of that event had invited the Brussels Beer Project to bring their beer that used uh, waste bread. And Sebastian Morvan, the brewer um, from the Brussels Beer Project, told me that this was the ancient origin of beer to use waste bread and waste grains that would otherwise, uh, you know, go mouldy and turn it into a long shelf life product. Fermentation, first and foremost, is a preservation technology. Uh, the inebriation that results is a happy uh, side effect. And it was really good beer. And I said, look, uh, Sebastian, my research has taken me to industrial bread uh, uh, manufacturers and, and users, sandwich factories all over the world. And I've seen, you know, this is an industrially wasted product, industrially wasted when it is still absolutely fresh and good to eat. And, um, you know, the craft 
brewing movement is a global phenomenon. It's everywhere. It's busting. It's looking for innovative new ideas. And I've spent 20 years building a food waste movement of entrepreneurs and organizations seeking to tackle this problem. Let's put these three things together and make it into a, a global thing. And he said, Tristan, that's your job. I'm a brewer here in Brussels. But he came over to Britain. He had, we worked on a recipe with us. Jamie Oliver came to that first ever brew. He drank the very first bottle. Of course, we called it toast ale. We were toasting the end of food waste and uh, it was made out of toast. And uh, he drank the first ever bottle. I'm not kidding. I hadn't tasted it wow. myself on television. Um, and he had, uh, you know, he... That's a risk. <laughs> I was so, I, I was really honestly very nervous. What if he screwed up his face and disgusted him yeah. and doctor? Um, you know what 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 then? But he didn't. He said it's delicious, blooming delicious, which became the name of one of our beers. And um, much more scarily, they had a bunch of um, uh, beer sommeliers and stockists there tasting it. And I remember this one really poker faced. Um, beer sommelier and he, he tasted the beer and he's like total poker face tasted it a few more times and he said you know what I was so not into the story this nice eco story but I thought it was going to be sweet and salty and not my cup of tea but this is a classic English ale it's got a couple of really interesting notes but it's just totally quaffable this is just a damn good beer and that's really what Toast Ale has become. It's, we've won prizes for the taste on blind taste testing, nothing to do with our mm. eco credentials. Um, we've sold, um, you know, the equivalent of a few million slices of, there's a slice of um, beer in every bottle or can. And slice of bread. Slice of bread, sorry, yeah. in, in each beer. And we've saved millions of, of slices of bread now. Wow. And the, 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 the profits um, of Toast Ale, when they materialize, become a profitable company, uh, go to charity. We give um, discretionary donations to Feedback and other charities uh, already. Um, we do collaboration brews with numerous breweries all over the world. We've been brewing in several different countries. Uh, in each place, we find local charities that we can support with part of the revenue. Um, we've locked all of our assets so that um, any capital gain investors make has to be reinvested in other planet-saving organizations, um, profitable or non-profitable. So we've created a vehicle that is entirely designed to upcycle what would be waste and create not just beer, but also cash to regenerate um, through a, a regenerative economical, uh, economic model. Um, so it's wow. a truly radical business. I think it's amazing. So, and where does the bread come from? Is that coming from supermarkets or? Well, again, we don't go direct to the supermarkets. Um, it's a bit of a sad story, actually. We've been using uh, the end slices of um, loaves in the UK from the sandwich manufacturers um, because, of course, the crusts, the end slice of each loaf, they don't get used. You go to the supermarkets and you, you never see the crust. And that stuff is day fresh. You know, it's discarded when it's, it's fresher than the stuff you can buy in a supermarket. And um, so we've been getting a lot. And, there's, you know, billions of these slices get wasted in this country every year. Um, and that was just a really easy place to go. And the sandwich manufacturer, Adley, who we were getting it off, unfortunately, right early on in lockdown, um, went into administration. Mm -hmm. um, 
but we're getting our, our bread waste now from bread manufacturers um, and and bakeries uh, who always have some surplus and and um, uh, you know sort of loaves that don't make the cut. Um, and and that's what we're doing. We sort of crump it up into the into the mash tun, and it, it all becomes beer in the end. Uh, but it's you know lockdown has been both uh, obviously a massive uh, challenge for us. Uh, but also, it was a real opportunity to to stay true to our business. Um, we uh, donated all of the profits from our online sales, uh, which became a big part of our business uh, once lockdown had had kicked in. Obviously, people were buying it from our website, and the proceed the the profits from those sales were going to set up the um, feeding system with Food for All, who are the guys that cooked that first Feeding the 5,000 meal. Mm. At the beginning of lockdown, we chatted to each other and we said, right, we've got the biggest pots in London. We've got all this surplus food that we could get hold of, you know, disruptions to the supply chain. And Para has been cooking between two and 5,000 meals every day and sending that out across London. Hot, good food for people who haven't been able to access it. And we've been supporting both that initiative and also feedbacks initiatives of a similar uh, ilk up in Liverpool and other parts of the country um, with the proceeds from from Toast Ale. So it was a real opportunity to, you know, that's what we were set up to do, is to help out in a situation like this. And that's that's what we did. And, um, you know, some of the people that we had to furlough, because obviously, you know, the whole pub and restaurant part of the business hasn't been able to operate, uh, actually volunteered for those charities and became linchpin um, you know, volunteer coordinators and the rest of it for food for all and others. Um, so yeah, that's been the recent stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. So what is next for you? What have you got? You seem to always have some new projects on the go. I, I mean, I'm very fortunate in that feedback is now being directed by brilliant, uh, team under Karina Toast Ale, which I don't have a day-to-day role at. It's been run by Rob uh, and Rob Wilson, actually, uh, and Louise Zian. Um, and uh, they are, are, are running Toast Ale. And, you know, I, I help where I can, but I'm not needed on a day-to-day basis, uh, which does liberate me somewhat. I'm, I'm trying to be helpful to lots of other organizations and people. I, I think that's the, the way in which I can use some of the the learnings of the last several years so that's that's become you know i think the environmental and social justice movement has suffered from a a a phenomenon of disaggregation of atomization of um everyone working in their their silos and what we need to do is break them down and emerge as a super organism and then we'll be truly powerful Um, so i'm much more interested in being a mycelial connection Um, i have got a completely bonkers, moonshot, insanely ambitious, globally revolutionary idea, um, which some elements of which I'm, I'm helping to, to bring to the surface now. Um, but I am not quite ready to go public with the big kind of plan. <laughs> yes, yeah, that sounds good. And I'm not quite ready to give up my life again. Um, you know, I've right. got a lovely vegetable garden that I look after. <laughs> that's also important to, to keep that kind of stuff alive yeah. you deserve to have a bit of a bit of a rest a bit of a light time well, I, don't, I, I don't i don't rest but no um, true but there's different ways of working yeah yeah 
Well, that's just fascinating. And if people want to find out more about everything you do, where's the best place to go? Um, well, the best place to go is to go and get a few bottles of toast ale and, and start from there. And that will keep you in good companionship. Um, mm. John, my favorite word is companion. Uh, companion comes from the Latin com is with and pan is bread. Uh, a companion is somebody you share food with. And in this time of social isolation, um, as much as any other, we need good companionship. And we can do that with the people in our house, with our immediate neighbors and friends. But we need to do that also on a global level. And um, I think we can by choosing to consume in ways that um, can enhance and regenerate social and environmental uh, diversity and, and, and richness. And, and Toastale tries to be a vector to bring good companionship to people. Um, so I think that whole idea of feeding the 5,000, you're not going to organize a meal for 5,000 people if you're sane. Uh, but if you have a couple of extra slices of pizza and, you know, somebody sitting next to you and you haven't, if you've got COVID, share it. Um, and if not that, then go to the businesses that are kind of living that, that ethic. And I think that way we can really enrich each other's lives with good companionship. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And so Toast Ale, where can you get to? Should we go to the website to get Toast Ale? Yeah, website is the best place. Nice and simple, straight to your door. All the profits come to us. Then we get to give it to charities. And you've done good by saving bread. You've done good by creating money for the organizations who are fighting for a better food system for you and for everyone. Great. I will do that. In fact, I was looking, I was going to have a book launch uh, uh, this month. We put it on hold because of COVID. And um, uh, because I mentioned you in my book, Fuck Work, Let's Play, which is coming out imminently. Yeah, from, uh, uh, from Pearson. And, um, and we, we were going to get a, a, a case or two of toast for that reason. So I will definitely do that when we do have a launch. And uh, that, that would be great to enjoy. I'll give you a product code if you uh, send me a message, John. Okay, you're <laughs> on. I like the sound of that. Okay, then. All, All right. right. Well, thanks very much, Tristram. That's just brilliant. What an amazing what you've achieved and 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 i think you've got a lot to teach other people you know part of the reason i wanted to have you on the podcast is because a lot of people who follow me have ideas they want to get out into the world and the way exactly how you do that can make the difference between whether your message spreads and has an impact or whether you just kind of irritate people or you just get lost in the noise and mm. i think you've really you really irritated a lot of people. You're right. Well, probably. Hopefully you've irritated the right people, but you've also got your message across. Yeah. Um, you don't want to irritate the people you're trying to convince. That doesn't always, uh, that doesn't always go well, does it? No, no, you're right. You've got to be not afraid of irritating people, I think, to, to sure. an extent. But yeah, mm. just doing things in collaboration. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not the hero. You just have to be of service to everyone else. That's certainly what I've learned. I didn't know that 10 years ago, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, thanks very much, Tristram. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes 
along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>